and welcome back to another episode of Lend Me Your Ears. Happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. Uh, hopefully you're taking this time off. You're going to have a long weekend. Hopefully you're taking Monday off. Uh, like I've said for the last few weeks, we, uh, we're always gearing up for Labor Day. That's what our entire year is aimed at because it seems every year the temperatures start to drop. Labor Day weekend happens and all of a sudden everyone's minds are on chimneys and our phones explode. Uh, I know a lot of you are the same way, so we're into it. Here we go. It's about to get crazy for a few months. We know that every year, and we we plan for it. We hire in the spring, we train for the summer, so that when the fall comes and when it does get crazy and we have work up to our eyeballs, that we're not spending a lot of time training or trying to fix things or trying to you know just... That that's not the time for that. You know, you practice, you practice, you practice. Now it's game time. This is game time. This is not the time to be tweaking things a lot. So this is the perfect time to talk about accountability. And <laughs> this episode is going to be, I don't know what it's going to be, honestly. I had a really hard time putting this outline together for this episode because accountability touches on everything. Stuff that I've already talked about, things that I haven't talked about yet, my entire company, it seems, is based around the concept of accountability. And it has to be. It should be. That's the way it should be. But it's <laughs> yeah, putting this outline together. I, I, we'll see where it goes, honestly. <laughs> so let's get into it. Uh, first and foremost, this concept, this topic for today is really for everyone. This can apply to owners, to employees, to managers, to anyone because it's really, it's personal accountability is what we're talking about. And everybody should have that, especially the owners, right? That's the, that's the part I think that we forget about as owners is we need to be held accountable as well. And too often we're not. And we're going to talk about how that went wrong with my company for sure. And maybe it's going wrong with yours too. But, you know, I've talked a lot about delegation and commission and training, but it means nothing if you don't have a way to hold everyone accountable, you got to have those checks and balances. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is something I heard years and years ago. I don't remember where I heard it or who said it, but it stuck with me and it stuck with me for a long time. And it's the concept of pluses, minuses, and equals. And the idea is that in everyone's life, whether it's personal or whether it's business, you need to have those three types of people in your life. I've also heard it other ways, like the 33% principle, 33% of the time spent with this person or that person. But the plus, minus, and equal essentially means that you're supposed to have in your life an equal amount of pluses, minuses, and equals. A plus is someone doing better than you, someone ahead of you, someone making more money, bigger company, the type of family. You know, it's the person that you can mold yourself after, somebody that you want to be in the road that you're on. The idea behind pluses is you're supposed to learn from your pluses. You know, There's always a different or better way to do things. Sometimes you're going through something that you've never encountered before, but you know somebody who has. Or you know, when it comes to work, you might be dealing with a project that you honestly have no idea what you're doing, but you know someone who does. You have to have those pluses in your life. The hard part about having pluses in your life is that humility, because you're going to have to humble yourself to say, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't really understand this, or I've never encountered this. Can you help me? That's hard for a lot of us. It's, it's, a, it's a humbling place to be 
when you have to go to them, but it's such a powerful place to be. When you have people that you can reach out to that are ahead of you or that are bigger than you or better in whatever way it is, when you can reach out and ask for help and you found someone that is willing to turn around and help in return, that is a beautiful relationship. I think it's the most powerful. So that's the pluses. Minuses are the subordinates, the people uh, under you or following you or in some way that are, you know, that you can uh, pour into. That's the whole point of the minuses. That gets kind of negative. People are like, oh, you know, subordinates and peons. It's not about that. It's people that are are not quite at your level yet. Employees, number one, you know, talking about business, those are going to be your employees. They are working their way towards becoming like you, hopefully. But the idea behind the minuses is not a negative connotation. Your job is to teach them, is to show them the way, it's to help them. To them, you're their pluses, right? It's a give and take. You have to have that, you know, if you're going to look to somebody ahead of you for help, you had better be turning around and giving that help to people behind you. That's the whole point. So you have to have pluses, you have to have minuses, and you have to have equals. The equals are your peers. Those are people like you, near you, same mind, whatever your your path is. Of course, we're talking about business. This could be anything. This could be family or fitness or sports, but you have to have an equal. You have to have somebody that can hold you accountable. That's the biggest thing. Um, in our industry, there's a bunch of different ways to find equals. Facebook, <laughs> it's not the best way, uh, but it is a way. Another way is local guilds. Get involved with a local guild and meet other people in your area that you know, they're dealing with the same things you are. They, they encounter the same problems and you can bounce ideas off of them. Mixed groups is another one. Uh, I'm actually not a member of a mixed group, but I've been hearing a lot about them for years and I'm actually in the process of probably starting one. Yeah, whatever. Maybe we'll see if that happens. Um, but the biggest one is just make friends in the industry. And I've always talked a lot about the fact that I don't really have any competitors. That's not a, a term that I've really used. It's one of the things that endeared me to this industry is the fact that so many people are willing to help each other, even though we might be, you know, competing in the same market. But I don't, I don't see that. I went to a, uh, a seminar, or I think it was a convention years ago. It was in Kentucky. So it was the convention. And the teacher was talking about market share. And he zoomed in on a neighborhood up on the, uh, the screen. He zoomed in on Google Maps on a neighborhood in Kentucky, in Louisville. And I think there was three or 400 homes in this neighborhood. And he said, you know, if you were to work on or repair every single home in this neighborhood, it would take you a full year of just repairs, you know, maybe liners or rebuilds or whatever, but let's say a day per house, you'd be out there for a year in just this one neighborhood. And we're all like, yep, yep, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd love to have that. And then he zooms out of Google Maps and he shows the entirety of Louisville. And he goes, that's just a small, small portion of this city. There is so much other work out there. And then he started going into market share and he asked the, the, the whole room, he said, you know, what, what percentage do you think would be a good percentage to have for you to own your market? And people started throwing numbers out, 10, 15, 5. And he said, if you have 1%, I'm sorry, 7% of 1% of your market, you're doing really good. And everyone's like, what? And I did the same thing. I'm like, what do you mean, what, 7% of 1%? means you own your market that's no there's no way and he starts throwing other numbers out to back that up so i went back and i started looking at my customer base in my area and to this day of course our numbers are bigger now but 
Today, we are the largest, biggest chimney company in the state of New Hampshire. We have, I think, five, 6,000 customers, somewhere around that range. In the entirety of our service area, there's over 450,000 homes that have a chimney. I'm doing really good in my state, and I'm servicing 5,000 out of 450,000. So what that told me was there's room for competitors. Every, there's enough room for everybody to have a piece of the pie. You know, I've talked to people that it just it blows my mind that they're scared to death of competition. They don't want anybody near them or around them. And I'm I just I don't understand that. You know, some people are are man, I would say blessed, like Jasper Drangler <laughs> in uh Wisconsin. He's got, I think he said within a hundred miles, there's one other person that does the job he does. I'm like, that's that's insane to me. I've talked to other people, said the same thing, Kentucky, uh Oklahoma, that just there's a lot of you out there that there is really no one else in your area, in my area, in the Manchester, Southern New Hampshire area, there are at least at last count 23, I would say reputable companies, but there's companies out there, 23 of them all doing the exact same job that I do in the same 20 mile radius. Some of them are really, really good. I'm in the same market as Steve Scally and Jesse Doucette and Matt Mayer and just there's really good competition up here, but we don't look at each other that way. We look at each other as competitors, right? Like there's people, there's competitors of mine that have a key to my shop. And if they need a liner or a snout or a bucket of PCR or something, they come right over. Hey, here it is. Take it. Have it, you know, it's yours. And <laughs> I used to work for a guy that one of our competitors called up and he goes, Hey man, my, my liner came in, but the cap didn't. And the homeowner doesn't want me to put the liner in without a cap. Can I borrow one of your eight by eight single flu caps just to put up there for a week until my cap comes in and I'll give it back to you? They're not going to use it. It's not going to get, you know, ruined or anything. They just don't want it not covered. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. Hey, I went to my owner. I said, Hey, can you borrow a cap for a week? He goes, yeah, I charge him a hundred dollars. I'm like, what? He goes, I'm not going to help him. Give him a hundred, charge him a hundred dollars. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> And I go back and I call him and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a hundred dollars. He goes, he goes, I could buy it wholesale for that. What do you know? Okay. I'll find something else. Buy. But that's the kind of mentality he had. He wasn't going to help anybody. He talked about, you know, trade secrets and helping each other. And (laughs) as you can tell from the fact that I have this podcast, I don't think that way. There, there are no trade secrets here. We're all doing the same job by the same standards, the same codes, same manufacturers, uh, instructions like there's no trade secrets there's tips and tricks and ways to do things maybe better or different but no (laughs) there is so much room for growth in this industry i want more i want more companies out there bigger companies out there that can help the customer if you're one of the people that thinks that the industry needs to stay small or or very compact and you know there's not enough room for all these people you're wrong you're 100% wrong. I'm in one of the smallest states in the country, and I've got almost 25 competitors, like doors down from me. I'm not talking, you know, on the other side of town. I'm talking there's two or three or I think four now within a mile of my shop. It does not hurt me. If anything, it makes us better. The whole idea of no competitors means you can do whatever you want. If you have nobody to call you on your crap, 
you can do whatever job you want, whatever quality you want, and nobody can say boo because you're the only guy in town. So they have to do it. They have to put up with it. But if you have a bunch of other people and everybody has a different way of doing it, you're going to have variations in quality, variations in price. You're going to have variations in company size. Now the customer has a choice. Now they're going to do their research. Now you have to up your game if you want to be the best. Things like reviews, things like quality, things like insurance. You know, you have to actually cross your T's and dot your I's in order to get the job done. You can't just say, yep, I'm the only one. So that's my take on competitors. I just, I don't understand people that don't like stove sales. Don't get me started on stove companies. The whole territory crap. There's a shop maybe five minutes away from my my shop right now, stove shop, and they're selling a certain brand of stove and they're doing it 100% wrong. And we follow behind them over and over again and we find the installs and we call them on it. I actually had a homeowner, we ripped the, the undersized liner out of his uh, chimney. It was on the ground as we were fixing it, putting the right size liner in with insulation and doing everything right. He backs his pickup truck up to the liner, throws it in the back of his truck and peels out and goes and drops it on the doorstep of the stove shop. I thought it was hilarious. The stove shop doesn't like me very much, but nobody's calling them on it because there's nobody within 30 miles that can sell this stove. So they're the only one selling it. It's just, I don't understand that. I would, I would much rather be in a shopping strip mall with two other people selling the exact same product as me. And now I have to actually do my job than just say, well, you got to come to me because I'm the only one that can do it. Ha ha. Okay. Attitude. <laughs> I'm a little upset about that. There's actually a guy, uh, I think 27 miles or something. He's within the 30 mile radius and he's got a shed out back of his house where he has a stove set up. <laughs> so a certain stove company won't let me sell those stoves with my reputable storefront company because he has the territory in his shed, in his backyard. So I digress. That's, <clears throat> I actually tried to get another stove company and uh, one of my, not so friendly competitors found out that I was going to sell the same stove and they called and they ripped their rep a new one. And they said, how dare you can't, I have the territory. Don't let him. He'll take all my business. I don't understand that. So that's a massive rabbit hole of a ramble, but that's my thoughts on competition. There's no such thing. Make friends with your competition, go out and learn from them. They might be doing things different or better than you are. And you can learn from them. Steve Scally has come into my house into my shop and trained my technicians on how to do lead flashing. I am not good at lead flashing. I've done it. I can do it. I make it work. Steve is amazing at it. So I called Steve. I said, Steve, we're doing a training in house. We're building a bunch of chimneys and I've already done the masonry portion and all that. Will you come over and teach them how to flash? And he did for free. Tried to pay the guy. I paid him in, I think, pizza and wings that day is what we had for lunch. But he enjoys giving and teaching and imparting and helping everybody grow. And now most of my company now can do flashing really well. And I didn't have anything to do with it. I just bought pizza. <laughs> have that kind of a relationship with your equals because that's what they are. If you start looking at your competitors like they're pluses or minuses, you're going to get all tied up. Those are your equals out there. We're doing the same job on the same type of roof to the same customer base. We're all trying to do the same thing. There's more than enough room out there for each of us to have our share. Don't hold it against each other and don't be closed-minded and closed off and not open for help because I, oh, I've done it. I've been there. Anyway, so pluses, minuses, and <laughs> equals getting way back to where we were. Your equals are going to hold you accountable. 
bringing up Steve again, just because he is my closest co-peditor here. So his name's going to come up a lot talking about this stuff. He's the one that I told you back in, I think it was episode one or two, that he pulled out a liner I put in that almost burned somebody's house down. And if and he didn't know me at the time either, but I called him. I said, hey, what did I do wrong? How did I screw that up? I thought I did a good job. And he led me down the right path. Hey, come over here. Let me show you. Go there. Go to this class. You know, he helped me. He didn't talk down to me. He didn't vilify me or make me. He helped. That's the whole point. He is one of my pluses. But when you have a a group of people around you that can help you, whether it's in a, a guild or a mixed group or a convention or a Facebook group, reach out. Ask people for help. There's people that text me all the time. Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I love being able to help them because it makes everybody better. That's what I got to say about that. But the biggest thing there is your equals will hold you accountable. You can share ideas. You can discuss stuff. They're going to call you on your crap. Happens all the time. I've had people call me up that have seen a picture of mine on Facebook and be like, what are you doing? I'm like, why? I had to because the truck didn't bring the part and the thing. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? Like they, you need to be called on your crap. And once in a while it happens to me and it's deserved most of the time, (laughs) but different views are not a bad thing. So when talking about different views, that's really where my attitude shifted when it came to accountability, because the first three, four years of owning a company, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I've talked about, nobody trained me how to run a business or manage people or or any of that stuff. I just, well, well, my name's on the truck. I got to go do it. And I just made it work. I did it the best I could. I've never been really good my whole life. I've never been really good at understanding people's different views about things. I've been very, uh, I don't know what the word is, but I just didn't understand. Like if you don't think the way I do, then you're dumb and I would move on. That's kind of the person I was. What really changed that for me was something so trivial. It was so, so small in the moment, but we were sitting around in my basement back when my house was my company. We're sitting in my basement after work one day. I think I had maybe four employees at the time. So we're just sitting around this little card table in my basement and I'd found something on Facebook that was called a cube personality quiz. And I was like, Hey, this would be fun. (laughs) That's the kind of company I ran. Hey, let's do a personality quiz on the clock in my basement. Sweet do it. So we did. And what the idea behind the cube personality quiz is you're asked to imagine something. They'll tell you what to imagine and you imagine. So the first thing they say is picture a field and then write down what you, I, by the way, I, I, uh, everybody should go out and take this quiz because it's really kind of cool, but picture a field, write down what you see in detail. You're like, oh, okay, this is kind of whatever. Yeah, you're writing down field, fine. Then it says, in the field is a cube. Describe your cube in detail. You're like, all right, cool. I start writing down my cube. I'm like, all right, fine. Then it says, picture a ladder. Describe the ladder. I'm like, ladder, whatever. And I'm just, at this point, I'm like, okay, this is going to be kind of fun, whatever. And then it asks you to picture a horse and then picture flowers in the field and then a storm. So there's all these things. You're just supposed to describe what you see. So I'm like, all right, let's just see. Write it down. Then we start going over our answers. I'm like, what did everybody get? You know, describe your field. And (laughs) I mean, this seems so trivial now, but it was life altering for me. Who's been very one dimensional my whole life, my way or the highway. When everybody in the room had a completely different answer for everything. And I mean, everything. 
like my field was, I think, just grass. It was just grass, whatever. Somebody else's field was all dandelion. Somebody else's field was trees and shrubs. I'm like, there's no trees in a field. I didn't like, how can you think that way? When it came to the cube, mine was just big and black about the size of a house. And it was, you know, right there on the ground in front of me. Somebody else's was opaque and floating and somebody else's was doing, you know, spinning in the sky and somebody else's was glittering. And this one was red and this one was sharp. I'm going, what? What do you mean? It's black. It's a cube. It's on the ground right there. And everything that you describe, once you take the quiz, explains a certain part of your personality. Like if yours is on the ground, you're more grounded. If it's in the air, you're more imaginative. I don't remember exactly what the answers were. The point of this was everything that we went to, uh, went through, the field, the cube, the ladder, the horse, the flower, the storm, nobody's was the same as mine. Everybody's was different. I don't think anybody else's was the same as each other's. You know, things like the horse. Mine was just standing there with a saddle on. Ta-da, here's the horse. What else could it be? Somebody else is wearing armor. Somebody else's was running around the cube. This one was rearing into the air. This one was laying down and sleeping. I'm like, what? It just said picture a horse. How are you going this far into it? But everybody's was different. And I remember thinking about that for weeks afterwards. I'm like, I'm missing something here. And I was. When I was so one-dimensional and closed-minded that my way was the only way, Something as simple as what a cube looked like, an imaginative made-up cube as part of a a personality quiz. It's it's ridiculous to me how many different ideas people can have for the same thing. Something so simple, right? Like a ladder. To me, a ladder is orange and it's 32-foot fiberglass and, and it's leaning up against the cube because, I mean, where else would it be? <laughs> That's what it is. Somebody else's was a stepladder. Somebody else's was on the ground. I'm like, what? And it's such basic ideas, but everybody thinks differently. That is where the beginning happened for me. I was like, I think I've been doing this wrong all this time. (laughs) Because up to that point of that quiz, first three, four years of having a company, I ran it the way I saw fit the way that I thought, because my name's on the truck and I own the company and I'm the boss. So we're going to do it the way I said it. And my way is the best way. And all of that crap. One of my employees, uh, Max, who worked for me back when I was in this state, we joke about it now because he'd have ideas. He'd be like, oh, you know what, John, what if we, what if we did this instead? And I'm like, no, no, that's dumb. We're not going to do that. And I just keep going. He's like, well, I mean, and you know, like a couple days later, I'm, can we, can we try my way? No, no, it's whatever. We got to get this done. Let's go. Come on, grab it and let's move. That was my way. And then finally, I was like, you know what? You try it. And it worked for him. I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. Because he sees things differently than I do. He's different size than me. He's not, you know, I barely fit in a fireplace. So, I mean, how am I going to tell him that the way to part a smoke chamber is different than mine, right? He's got a completely different agility set. And he's stronger in some senses than I am. And he's better at certain things. Once I learned that, changed everything for me because up to that point I wasn't accountable to anybody up to that point I did everything the way I saw fit because I decided because my name's on the truck I have to tell you from doing that the wrong way for four years that is the single worst way to run a company hands down you have to let everybody else have a voice everybody else have a part once they buy in Everything changes, but if they're if they're just showing up to listen to you yell at them, they'll. I mean, the job will get done, kinda. I mean, they'll they'll show up sometimes. 
I mean, these are all the things that we hear people say a lot. They say things like, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself or, you know, I have to hold everybody's hand around here or nothing gets done unless I'm here. Or, I saw this on Facebook last week. The guy's like, I have to approve every estimate before it goes out. They have to sell it to me. And I'm like, all I'm hearing is you're bad at training. Ta-da. <laughs> and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm pointing fingers at myself here. I've been there. I've said all of those same things, not realizing the issue was I wasn't allowing other people to think for themselves or to have ideas. I was just throwing my ideas at them and hoping they'd stick. That's a terrible way to run a company. I forget who said it, but I was talking to somebody a couple of years ago at a convention. They were talking about SOPs. And he said, I don't write the SOPs anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're the owner. You have to write the SOPs. He goes, I can't. I'm not in the field anymore. So what good would it do me to write an SOP the way I used to do something if I'm not even doing it anymore and times have changed, people have changed, technology has advanced, they have to write the SOPs. I'm like, what? But that's, but I'm the owner. Like I still had that mindset. I have to do it because I'm the one in charge. Me, 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 I, 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 all this crap over and over again. And even though I was still in the field at the time, I did the same thing. I went back and I was like, hey, you know what? You guys write the SOPs because that's humility. You guys work differently than me. You think differently than me. You're you're different than me. Let's crowdsource this. Hey, what is every, what's everybody's best way of doing this? And we sat down and we started writing SOPs and it worked. And I'm like, okay, there's something to this. So in my reading and research, I actually came across something that kind of tied all this together for me. And it's the, the, the mentality of the alpha, <laughs> right? And it's, as I said that, some of you kind of just got at this weird like look across your face like, oh God, alpha, the alpha. It's gotten such a negative connotation in our society when somebody calls themselves an alpha. Usually when they do that, general douchebaggery ensues, right? We all know that nobody's going to walk around puffing their chest out saying, I'm the alpha without being a total tool. We get that. Usually when somebody calls someone else an alpha, it's also in a negative connotation. Oh, he's such an alpha. Oh, well, oh, just got that, whatever. So we all get that negative feeling. Problem is almost every single person out there does not understand what a real alpha is. So the guy that actually coined the term alpha when he's talking about wolves tried to get it removed because he was mistaken. You can Google this and it's out there. It's a real thing. The guy that coined the term alpha wolf wrote a book about it went back out years later and realized he was completely wrong and he had taken what he saw in one pack of wolves and tried to make it into this giant generalization. He goes, no, 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 I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And nobody listened and now it's stuck in our society. But what we think of as an alpha is complete crap. So the guy, there's a TED talk out there where he talks about this too. Alphas, what in our society we think needs to be the biggest and the baddest and the toughest and the loudest and just beat your chest and tell people what to do and I'm the alpha. So many things wrong with that. First thing is actual alphas in monkey society, in ape, uh, uh, I can't think of the word, primate, there it is, (laughs) primate society is nowhere near what we think it is in the human uh, society. In in primates, and the guy in uh, YouTube and the books and everything explain it much better. So here I'm going to try, but primates actually give alpha status. They don't take it. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Alphas, they're not really elected or promoted, but they're allowed. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, you can be the alpha. You're 
the best suited for this or it's given by like the last alpha he'll kind of promote and bring him up like okay come on but if somebody acts in the way that we consider an alpha to be it's actually a bad trait in primates and they either uh, gang together and kill their alpha or they'll leave or they will help another alpha take over the bully so what we think of as you know this alpha mentality completely backwards alphas in all the studying they've done in primates are actually the most generous the most kind, the most compassionate. They're actually the peacemakers. They actually break up more fights than they cause. The only times we ever see an alpha get um, violent is when they're defending somebody. But most of the time, they'll actually choose just to walk away. They won't fight unless they absolutely have to. If it's a uh, territory thing, they'll just be like, yeah, you can have it. We're moving on. Bye. And they'll just leave. So the whole alpha mentality thing is all backwards in our society. But in this sense... What I'm talking about is there's no such thing as a human alpha. There is absolutely not. What I mean by that is if you're a primate, if you're a silverback gorilla and you have a tribe of, you know, six or seven other uh, gorillas and you're out there trying to make it. Yeah, they all have to lean on you for everything, for their food, for their uh, their well-being, for where they're going to live. Yeah, that's that's one thing. That's primates. <clears throat> Humans are not like that. There's no such thing as a human that at all times, in all places, is the be-all and end-all and the best. <laughs> so the idea that somebody can be a quote-unquote alpha is completely wrong. Case in point, I'm talking to a lot of business owners right now. We, in our little tribe, in our companies, are the alpha. Ta-da! Names on the shirts, names on the bill, on the building, whatever. We are the be-all and end-all in our company. But we just talked about the fact that sometimes you have to call somebody else for help. How can you be the alpha if you have to lower yourself to go call someone else and go, hey, can you help me? Or can I get this part? Or can you show me how? Or can you come train my people? Because I don't know what I'm doing. You have to lower yourself under somebody else. Or like boards, right? I'm on the board for the CSIA. In my tribe, in my company, I am the be all end all alpha. What I don't use that actually. I'm just saying it. And I hate even saying it. <laughs> but I'm the alpha in my company, but I have to go sit around a table with 12 other alphas who are all alphas in their realm. And now you've got a jockey for position and you got this, you would, if we were actually all real alphas, be jockeying and puffing out chests. And no, you get work done when everybody is working together and discussing and engaging and helping and humble. And that's how stuff gets done. Right. I, I was reading in the book and he was talking about, you know, a professional football athlete going and playing chess. <laughs> it's, you kind of put it in that kind of a mindset. You can be an alpha in one thing, but you can never be an alpha in all things in all places because that's not how it works. So that is why all these people, when they're like, I'm the alpha, they're general douchebags is because they have that mindset that nobody can touch me in anything ever because I'm whatever. I don't get into that. That's, I think, a big problem in all business owners is we have that mentality of I'm the be all and end all and everything goes through me and nobody can touch me. Nobody can stand up to me. And if they do, I'm going to pound my chest like a moron. <laughs> I've been there. I've done it. I went through three, four years of that. What happened was my employees followed me out of fear. They followed me because they had to. Like I talked about with uh, John Maxwell's five levels of leadership. The first one is position. That's the, that's the lowest level of leadership is they follow you because they have to. That's Anybody can be given the title of leader and then you're like, okay, you follow him. Ta-da, they will because they have to. After that, it's on you. 
you have to now earn the next level, which is permission. There's so many leaders out there, both owning companies and inside of companies and in families that are leading through title only. They're all wrapped up in the fact that they have the title, that they haven't bothered to go to the next level of their leadership, which is you now have to earn the permission of your followers to lead them. Let that sink in. That's humility. They have to want to follow you or they won't. One of my favorite quotes, and it's so true, is that people don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad leaders. You say that again. People don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad leaders. I've said it over and over again about our industry. It's a crappy job. It's worse than a bad job. <laughs> really? Think about it. And I, like I said, I tell this to people in their interview. I'm going to have you on a four-story, 12-pitch slate roof in the dead of summer, sometimes the middle of winter, holding a piece of metal over your head while using an angle grind. Like, just think about the, the depths of crazy it takes to do this job. Or I'm going to have you in an ash pit shoveling out soot or with your face in a boiler or all of the dumb things that we do. This is a terrible job, but people do it. The ones that don't do it will come into a job that makes you get dirty in a crawl space or get up on a roof or be on some sketchy ladder somewhere. And they're like, no, no way I'm not for me not doing it. That happens. Fine. Most of the time, though, they will stay if you lead them well. Leading them can be as simple as just getting them the right equipment to do the job. How many times do we see pictures of guys like doing work from, I'm not going to get into that right now. We've all seen it. We've all seen the pictures of people that are out there doing work unsafe. They're not being led. That's not how you lead people doing this job. So leading from a position of fear where nobody can hold you accountable and nobody can tell you how to to change at all, you're not going to get many followers. And the ones that you do get won't last very long. And we see this over and over again. I saw it in my company for years. I couldn't understand why I couldn't grow. I was trying to grow. I tried to hire experienced people. I tried to bring on new people. But me lost in my own head of, I have to be the be all and end all. I can't ask for help. They, you know, they have an idea and I'm so stressed trying to run the business and run the job and worry about profit and worry about the bank account and worry about all of these things. And now somebody's got an idea and I'm like, no, 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 just shut up and sit there and just help me. That was me. (laughs) I've also been that way my whole life. It's nothing new. I used to get told by my mother all the time, that I'm a terrible trainer. (laughs) She would say that to me. And it's, you know, she'd have a question about her cell phone, right? Hey, how do I get something to work on here? And I would go to grab the phone from her. And she'd go, no, no, no. tell me how to do it. I want to do it. I don't want you to do it for me. And I was like, oh, I mean, uh, click on the, um, uh, uh, the, the little thing. And then you, uh, you scroll down. Okay. Just give me the phone. (laughs) That's, that was my idea of, of trying to help her. She goes, you're terrible at training for years. And then I started a company, <laughs> but I carried that with me. Then when I became the owner of this company, now I've got to teach other people how to do this job. It got even worse. And there's so many horror stories out there. My employees still tell, but some of them were, I tried to show a technician how to repoint once and I would show him how to grind it out. And he was taking so long. I'm like, oh my God, I'd have this done by now. I want to go home. I'm like, okay, just go a little faster. Okay, try. Okay, just just give me the grinder. And I would finish it for him. And then I'd jump in a mixed mortar. Of course, he didn't mix it right the first time. I'd have to jump in. Give me the hose. All right, let's add some more water. Let's mix it. All right. Okay, take this up on the roof. 
we get up on the roof and I'd show him a couple of times how to do it. I'd give him the trowel. He'd start to repoint. And I'm like, no, no, okay, no, like this. No, like, okay. And I, I, just, just give me the trowel. And that's the kind of leader and trainer that I was in my own company. Can you guess how well my employees responded to me? <laughs> I'm surprised I still have a company. That was rampant for through everything. It wasn't just repointing. Even after that story about the the cube personality test and me like, oh God, people see different. I need to change. It's It doesn't happen overnight. Then I was like, I need to actually explain what I do because you're running a two-man team and you know I'm out there on a job and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and this. I give a really good plan. And then it's all right, go out in the, in the van and grab X and X tools, right? And the time that the technician was gone getting the tools, I would already start working and have like two or three things already done by the time they came back. They would never see that done because they were busy doing what I told them to do. Then when I would send them out on their own to do said job, it would take them three times as long. And of course, I'm on the phone. I'm like, what are you doing? What is taking you so long? I would have had this job done by noon. Why are you out there at four o'clock? What's holding it up? And he's like, I can't figure out how to put this together. And I'm like, what? You see me do that a hundred times. And they said, no, we haven't. I've never seen you do this. I'm like, how could you have never seen me? I had to realize they weren't around for me doing it because I would do it without them seeing it and just think that they learned it through osmosis. I was never showing them how to do the job. I was doing the job near them, not the same as training. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. Same thing with, uh, I was teaching somebody how to, to sweep a fireplace and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to really dumb it down here. I'm going to bring it down to base level. I'm going to be the best trainer ever. I'm going to put it in, you know, step by step. Here we go. He gets in the fireplace with me. He's, we're both laying down on the hearth and I'm like, okay, you do this and you do this. Okay. You do this. And then I was like, all right. <laughs> and then I sit up and I reach my hand up inside. I'm like, and then take the damper out. Do, 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 do. And I put it on the floor and go to grab the brushes. And he goes, wait, how did you do that? I'm like, what do you mean? You just watched me do it. I just, t you take the damper out. So anyway, next he goes, no, no, no. I, I didn't see what you did. You just reached your hand up and the damper came out. How did you do it? And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. So we get back in the fireplace. I put the damper back in and then I showed him in almost super slow motion what I did. And then I was like, you try. It took him 15 minutes to do what I literally did in, in five seconds. That's training. It's terrible. It's pain. It's long. It's especially when you're in somebody's house and you're on a time crunch and you want to go home and it's dirty and it's late and it's Friday afternoon or whatever. You have to do it though. Don't just assume they're going to learn through osmosis. They have to have that availability to call you on your crap. When you don't train them, when you don't show them the right way, or if they have a better way, you have to be the kind of leader that allows them to speak up because they will, and you'll get better for it if you allow it. I didn't allow it for years and my company just floundered and I kept hiring bad people and I kept saying the same dumb things you keep hearing about nobody wants to work and these kids and if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. I said all of those things. I was wrong. It had nothing to do with who I was hiring. It had everything to do with how I was treating them. I was not held accountable to anybody. I was the alpha. I was the asshole <laughs> and it showed in the results of my company. Finally, I understood. I needed to put people in charge of things that I wasn't good at. I already talked about the fact that I put Max in charge of hiring because I wasn't good at it. I just wasn't. The second Max took over hiring, 
we had employees. Ta-da! <laughs> it was that simple. When it comes to logistics and it comes to inventory and stock, I gave it to Rick. I'm like, I can't put my, I can't wrap my head around this. Can you take this? Boom. All of a sudden, everything's put away and neat and orderly. Now, when people come into my shop, they're like, oh, your shop is really nice. I'm the first one to give credit. It's not me. <laughs> it is not me. If I had anything to do with this inventory, it would be a pile on the floor like dirty laundry. That's what it looked like. This is all Rick because I'm not good at it. You have to know your shortcomings and be held accountable for that. The biggest thing is my core employees, my closest employees that have now become my managers, Max, Rick, and Jill have been around the longest. I have told all of them, if you ever hear me act in a certain way towards my employees or say certain things or do certain things, we have a list. I've seen other people do it and say it, and I'm not going to say them out loud because you might recognize the people, (laughs) but I know what I don't want to be, and they've seen it. And I said, if I ever say that to an employee, you have full permission to punch me in the face. And I 100% mean it. And they call me on it a lot. I'll get really close or I'll joke about something. And Rick will look at me as like, I'm going to punch you right in the face. Oh my God, I've been waiting for this forever. And I'm like, okay, all right. But you have to have that. I'm not always right. Just because my I, my name is on the checks doesn't mean that every word that comes out of my mouth is gold. It's usually not. <laughs> but you have to have that. Max and Rick and Jill, my managers now hold me accountable even more. I tell them, I'm not making any business decisions without your approval. I'm not in the vans anymore. I'm not out there on the front lines. I'm not out there with the technicians. You all are. You tell me what's best for the company. Because if I just go around making decisions like I did before, man, I used to make them daily. The technicians would show up for work and I'm like, you know what? I saw this on Facebook last night in the forum. So we're going to start doing this. And they're like, uh, okay. And they would, they would because they had to. And it would work for maybe a day or two. And they're like, this is stupid. I'm like, yeah, it's dumb. Okay, I saw this in a YouTube video. Sorry, let's all start doing this every day. That was every single day for a long time. My employees never knew what company they were coming to work for because John would have a wild hair. I don't have that anymore. Now I, I still have the wild hairs, trust me. I still do exactly the same thing. But I walk into the office and I go, hey, so what do you think about doing this? Uh... No, that's a dumb idea. I'm like, okay, good, good. All right, go to work. (laughs) You have to have that. I have to be held accountable. I have to be held in check because I'm only one person. There's so many other people and lives invested in this company that if everything hung on the whim of what I was feeling that day, oh my God, it didn't work when there was four employees. It sure as hell not going to work when there's 25 or eventually when it's 50 or 100. It can't. You have to break that mentality that you can't be held accountable. So... Once I learned how to drop my alpha complex, once I learned how to lead people, once I began to actually train people, that's when everything grew. You see what I mean now at the beginning of this episode where I said everything is tied together. It's everything. It's all things we're talking about. If you're not held accountable and you don't hold everybody else accountable to, nothing works. It seems like chaos. It seems like everything's falling apart and you do have to have your hand in every pie and all of a sudden you can't leave the room or else decisions can't be made because you haven't given the freedom. You haven't given the the accountability to somebody else to do that. Remember, I mentioned this before, but Simon, Simon Sinek said this, you're not in charge. You're responsible for those in your charge. That is a massive culture shift for owners and managers. So many people get tied up in that in that title. I'm the manager. I'm the owner. I'm the supervisor. I'm the lead. 
I've had technicians come through like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not, lead technician isn't a title. That's your job is to lead my technicians. You see the difference? (laughs) You're not the lead. Your job is to lead. Same thing with leaders. You're not the leader. Your job is to be a leader. That's the point. That's everything. You're not in charge. You're responsible for those in your charge. The whole, like right now, I used to say that my my customers always come first. And I was like, okay, no, my employees always come first. The reality is I barely talk to customers anymore. Like once in a while, I get an angry one or once in a while, I get one that's like, hey, can I talk to the owner? I want to tell them how great of a job. Okay. Then I talk to them, but I don't deal with them day to day like I used to anymore. So my, my priority can't be the customer. My priority is my employees. However, I don't see all of them either. There's too many of them now for me to go out and to be invested in everybody's lives like I used to. So now I have my three managers. Rick is in charge of pretty much the logistical side up, you know, the company itself. And then he has all the lead technicians. Max is in charge of all of the training and all of the assistant technicians. Jill is in charge of the office and all of the HR. All of them, I have an organizational chart made up that shows everybody falls under those three. The only three that fall under me are Max, Rick, and Jill. Those are the only three employees that I can be invested in. I can't manage 25 people all at once. I'll lose my mind. So I manage Rick. And I tell Rick what I'd like the leads to do and how the inspection should look and how the estimates should go and how the process should be and how the van should look. And then Rick delegates. And I check in with Rick. Hey, how's the vans going? How are the techs doing? How's the estimates going? With the training, I go to Max. I'm like, here's what I want the training to look like. And here's what I'd like the process to be. And here's what I'd like to do. And then he does it and I check in with him. Same thing with the office and with HR and with policy. I go to Jill and then she delegates from there. So I mentioned this in a Facebook post last week. I only have three employees. That's it. The second I try to muddy the waters and get involved, I actually mess things up now. If I go to an assistant technician and try to, I I put my foot in my mouth no matter what I do, because Max is like, no, 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 we're going to go over that next week. Or we already touched on that. Or or we're going to, I'm like, oh, sorry, (laughs) my bad. Or if I go to the office and I'm like, hey, I'd like you guys to start doing this. Jill's like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this instead. I'm like, my bad. (laughs) But you have to have that kind of attitude. They hold me accountable because I put my foot in my mouth and I end up stepping on toes if I get out of line. That's the way it should be. So if you're trying to run a company where you're the be all and end all (laughs) and you want to grow, it's never going to happen. I tried it. A lot of people have tried it. It does. If it does work, you're just going to get people showing up to to do a job. They're not going to want to stay there. You have to lead them. You have to have organization. You have to have delegation. You have to have accountability. So I actually talked a lot more than I thought I was going to on this one. I have a lot more to go over <laughs> that I'm not going to right now where I actually go into our processes because we have a process for everything. All of the leads and all of the assistant technicians and the scheduling and the reviewing and the office and the policies, like you have to have a process for all of that. So I guess that's going to have to wait till next week. (laughs) Otherwise, you'll be listening to me for two hours. I don't think you want that. Anyway, I think I've kind of beat my, my point into the ground here. Accountability is key. It starts with you, the owner. You have to be held accountable for what you're doing. There has to be checks and balances. People have to be able to call you on your crap because honestly, sometimes some of the things you say is crap. And if you don't have people around you to tell you that, all they're going to do is do your crap. 
and you don't want that long term. If you're an employee, you have to listen to your pluses and then turn around. You lead technicians and train your minuses, train the people that are with you. They're not just there just to get paid. Some of them might be. It's your job to change that. They have to know that they have a future here. And if you're just miserable doing your job, that's what you're going to train them to be. Remember, there's people following you. And then your equals. Your equals are the most important. Help each other. Ask for help from each other. Because we're all in this together. We're all doing the same crappy job on these stupid tall roofs and dirty basements and ash pits. And we're all doing the same thing here. So business owners, reach out to your equals, make some friends, start a mixed group, go to a local guild meeting, go to a convention, find people, talk to them, bounce ideas. You'll My first convention I went to blew my mind because I never knew there were that many different ways to do this job and so many different tools and ideas and techniques and tips and tricks. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing all of this wrong forever. Changed everything for the better. And find a plus. If you're an owner, find somebody ahead of you, better than you, bigger than you, whatever it is, whatever path you're going down, find somebody that's already been there and say, Hey, would you mind? Can I be your, can I be your minus? (laughs) Let's start that. Hey, can you be my plus? I want to be your minus. Most people would say, can I be your mentor or mentee? But that's super weird. I once said that to Mark Stoner and it came out just who does that? Hey, Mark, will you be my mentor? (laughs) Of course he said, yes, because Mark's the man, but That's the idea here. Find somebody to follow and to glean from and let's all grow together. I have no idea what I'm talking about next week. I've covered so many different topics in this one that uh, we'll just have to wait and see what it is. So enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Thanks for tuning in and thank you for lending me your ears.